This evening, I'd like to speak a little bit about practice of dharma in daily life. Now, the word dharma means a preventive measure. It's something that we do in order to avoid problems. So, first thing that we need to do in order to involve ourselves with dharma practice is to recognize various types of problems and difficulties that we have in life and to realize that the dharma practice that we want to do is aimed at helping us to get rid of these problems. The practice of dharma is not just to feel good or to have a nice hobby or be trendy or anything like that. The practice of dharma is intended to help us get rid of our problems. So that means that in order to practice it realistically, it's not going to be very nice. We have to actually look and face the unpleasant things in our lives, the difficulties that we're having. Not run away from it, face it, and now we're going to try to deal with it. These problems can take many forms. We're all familiar with most of them. We're insecure, we have difficulties in our relations with others, we feel alienated, we have difficulties with our emotions and feelings, usual stuff that we all have. Difficulties dealing with our families, with parents when they get sick and old, difficulties uh, dealing with our own sicknesses and old age. We're a young person, difficulty in figuring out what are we going to do with our lives. So we look at these, and Buddha said that what's uh, very important is to uh, realize that uh, these problems that we have come from causes. It's not that they're for no, no cause at all. And what is most important is that he said that the uh, source of these problems is within ourselves. Well, this is a, a big insight and not so easy for us to, for most people to accept because most of us tend to place the blame on our problems on other people or on external situations. I'm unhappy because of what you did. You didn't live up to my expectations. You didn't call me. You left me. You don't love me. It's all your fault. Or we put the blame on our parents, the way that our, what our parents did to us when we were little children. Or we place the blame on the economic situation or the political situation, social situation, and so on. Now, of course, all these factors play a role in our experience in life. Buddhism doesn't deny that. But the main cause, the deeper cause of our problems is within ourselves. It's our own attitudes, our confusion, basically. So I think that if we wanted to find one factor which is, what should we say, the most defining of what is a Buddhist attitude in terms of what it means to practice Buddhism in daily life, I think that we would need to say that it is when we're having difficulties that we look within ourselves to try to find the source and to try to change it from within. When we talk about looking within and finding the source of our problems, 
it is not in the sense of I'm a bad boy or I'm a bad girl and I have to change it and be good. That's not Buddhism. But rather, the source of our problems, Buddha said, is our confusion. And so, what we need to do is to discover, how am I confused about what's going on here? And how can I correct that by gaining proper understanding? And what is our confusion about? It's about several things. One is behavioral cause and effect. Right? We think that if we act in a certain way, that it's going to have either no effect at all, I can be late and ignore you and so on, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't have any effect. That's wrong, it's confused. Or we think that the way that we behave is going to have a certain effect, which is absurd. Like, for instance, well, I was nice to you, and so the effect of that is that you should love me all the time. But why don't you love me? I mean, I, I bought you a nice present. Why don't you love me? And we think that our actions and behavior are going to have unreasonable effects. We inflate it. It is going to produce more of an effect than actually it possibly can. Or we think that certain things are going to bring about one type of effect, whereas in fact they bring about the exact opposite. Like, for instance, you might think that, well, I want to be happy, and so the way to be happy is to get drunk every night. And just produces more problems than happiness. Or we are confused about how we exist, or how the world exists, and how others exist. We suffer and get very unhappy as we get older, or we get sick. Well, what do you expect? A human being, human beings get sick, and human beings grow old, unless you die young. So it's no surprise. So, you know, when we're unhappy about it, and shocked about it, and you start seeing gray hair in the mirror, and so on, this is being very unrealistic and confused about how the world exists, how we exist. So we have a problem with it, with getting old. And because of our confusion, then we act usually in a destructive way, under the influence of disturbing emotions and disturbing attitudes. We act compulsively. And so we act with greed and attachment. That's to get things around us so that we hope that somehow this is going to make us secure. Like in our confusion, we might think that I'm the most important person in the world. I'm the center of the universe. And so we're always very greedy for desires that everybody should pay attention to me. Everybody should like me. And it drives us crazy if somebody doesn't like us. Or they liked us for a while and then they don't like us anymore. And even worse, if they ignore us. And somebody doesn't pay attention to me when I want something. But not everybody liked Shakyamuni Buddha. Not everybody liked Buddha. What hope is there that everybody's going to like me? This is absurd. That's just the way that it is. This is an over-expectation. This is not reality. It's confusion. With the greed and attachment, oh, everybody should pay attention to me. And we get very angry and hostile if they don't like us, or if they ignore us, and we're naive. We think that we're so lovable that everybody should like us, and there must be something wrong with this person. They don't like me. Well, maybe this, that we start doubting ourselves, you know. Something's wrong with me. 
And that's causing them not to like themselves. So feel bad or guilty. All naivety here. So, this is anything that we're working on ourselves. This is what Dharma practice is all about. No matter what the situation is, if we're having difficulties, and a little insecure or whatever, look at ourselves. Well, what's going on? Where is the confusion that's behind these disturbing emotions that I'm feeling? And if we're talking about a relationship with somebody in which we're having problems, it's not that we're the only one with confusion. Obviously, the other person has confusion as well. But the point is that we don't just say, well, you have to change. Everything that I'm doing is perfect. You're the one that has to change. But on the other hand, we don't say that I'm the only one that has to change. Because that can get into what you say, a martyr type of complex. But we try to identify with the other person. Of course, they need to be receptive. That Look, both of us are confused here. There's a problem in, in both of us in terms of how we're understanding what's going on here in our relation. So let's try to clear up the confusion in both of us. There are many, many different types of Buddhist practice. And it is not sufficient to uh, just get instructions on how to perform them, like uh, performing some trick. But it's very important to understand in any Buddhist practice how is this practice going to help me in overcoming difficulties. I have to learn their application, the meaning behind them, which means that you don't start with advanced practices. You have to start from the beginning, build up a foundation so you can figure out what's going on in these practices. And although we can read teachings which say if you're given a medicine, you don't just ask all questions, how does it work? You just take the medicine, although there is that piece of advice, and it's true, but we have to understand that that piece of advice is warning against an extreme. Right? The extreme is just to study and study and try to understand, and then you never practice. So we want to avoid that extreme. But there's the other extreme, which is to just, somebody says to do something in blind faith, you just do it without having any understanding. And the main problem with that is that you never actually understand how to apply it, particularly in daily life. If we understand the point behind any practice, if we understand how it works, what its intention is, then... You don't need somebody else to tell you how to apply it in daily life, in practical life. You understand it. You know how to apply it. And when we talk about eliminating our problems, we're talking not only about eliminating just personal problems, as it were, but we're also talking about getting rid of the difficulties that we have in helping others. We don't have problems helping others because of laziness, because of selfishness, because of being too busy, or just, I don't understand what your problem is, and I have no idea what to do to help you. That's a big difficulty that we have, isn't it? Right? And all of those difficulties that we have in helping others are also because of our confusion. Right? For instance, the confusion that I should be like uh, Almighty God, and all I have to do is one thing, and that's going to solve all your problems. And if it didn't solve all your problems, well, you know, something's wrong with you. You didn't do it right. Or, I'm guilty. 
I should have been able to solve your problems, and I didn't. So I'm no good. Again, that's confusion about cause and effect. Now, also, to be able to practice things in daily life in an effective way, in a non-neurotic way, we need to also have conviction that it's possible to actually get rid of our problems. And we're convinced that it's possible to get rid of our confusion. Right? I mean, this is the basic approach. If we want to get rid of something, we eliminate its cause. Get rid of the cause, the result doesn't occur. Yeah, this is, uh, of course, very difficult to actually gain deep, firm conviction, for instance, that it's possible to gain liberation and enlightenment. We don't even understand what liberation and enlightenment really is, so how could we really consider, is it possible or not? And if we don't think it's possible, isn't it a bit hypocritical to aim to achieve something that we don't think exists or that it's not possible to achieve? And so then it becomes some sort of crazy game or something that we're playing. I mean, it's not for real. We have to be really convinced, and this requires quite a lot of study and understanding and deep thought and meditation. Be convinced that not only is liberation and enlightenment possible, but it's possible for me to achieve it. Not that it was possible for Shakyamuni to achieve it, but I can't do it. It's possible for me to achieve it. And it's possible for not only me to achieve it, but for everybody to achieve it. So we have to understand, you know, well, what can I do to get rid of my confusion? And will it actually get rid of it? And what will get rid of it is correct understanding. And so we have to understand how correct understanding can overpower confusion. And eliminate it, so the confusion never returns. So, as a result of all of this, we see that you know, the actual working place of Dharma practice is daily life. It's dealing with our problems, our confusion, difficulties in life, moment to moment. And Dharma practice isn't time out from life. Go into your little meditation cave or room and sit on your cushion and escape. That's not the focus of Dharma practice. Right? We do that when life is just too overpowering with its problems and we need a quiet space in order to practice and you know get familiar. Practice means you, know, you practice doing something until you can really do it. So you, you practice so that you build up the skills so that you can go back and deal with it in life. The main focus is life. It's not to win the Olympic medal of sitting and meditating. By the life. So, the work in Dharma is to be introspective, to be attentive of our own emotional states, our motivations, our attitudes, our compulsive behavior. And the, uh, the characteristic of a disturbing emotion, a disturbing attitude, is that when it arises, it makes us and or others feel uncomfortable. This is very helpful. It helps us to recognize when we're acting under the influence of this. So, when we notice that there's something disturbing going on, we feel uncomfortable, then we check it out. What's going on? And we apply various opponents to correct it. So, this requires becoming very sensitive to what's going on inside of us and 
In order to be sensitive, it requires the realization that if I act in this disturbing way, it's just going to make a lot of unhappiness for me and for other people. And you don't want that. You've had enough of that, enough already. And if I'm upset, how can I be of help to anybody? And it also requires a familiarity with many different opponent forces. Not just one, or two. Right? Our lives are very complex. And it's not going to always work that one particular antidote that we know, one particular practice is going to be effective, the most effective in every single situation. So to really be able to apply things in daily life requires a great deal of flexibility. Many different methods, and if this doesn't work, then we do that. If that doesn't work, we try this. My teacher, Sirkan Rinpoche, always used to say, when you're trying to do something in life, always have two or three alternative plans. So if plan A doesn't work, you're not just left off, you know, and you give up, and you, you completely freak out. Because if plan A didn't work, well, there's a backup plan B and plan C. And maybe one of them eventually will work. This, I found, is very, very helpful advice. So it's the same thing. If uh, Dharma method A doesn't work, in this particular situation, well, we always have a backup plan. We have other things that we can turn to. So all of this is obviously based on study, learning the various methods, and meditation, which we practice it so that it's like doing a physical training. We practice you know, to train ourselves to be familiar with these methods so that we can actually apply them in daily life. So this requires looking at Dharma practice not as a hobby, but as a full-time thing, full-time commitment. Right? And we apply it in our families, we apply it dealing with our parents, dealing with our children, dealing with people at work. And in doing this, we have to avoid various extremes. Right? We mentioned this a little bit of this already. We have to avoid the extreme of putting the blame for our problems, all of the blame on others, or putting all of the blame on ourselves. Both of us contribute, right? We can try to get other people to change, but it's easiest to change ourselves. So that's the focus. But in doing this, we have to try to avoid the extreme of narcissistic self-preoccupation. We're always just looking at ourselves, and we don't pay attention to anybody else. That's an extreme. Right? Another two extremes are that we're all bad or we're all good, right? Although we need to, recognizing our difficult sides, the sides that we need work on, we also need to recognize our positive sides, our positive qualities, and so that we can develop them more and more. Because often people in the West have low self-esteem, so we focus too much on problems and confusion and so on. We have to watch out for the danger that just reinforces low self-esteem. That's not the point at all. So, at the same time, we balance this with thinking of our good qualities, that even the most cruel person does have some sort of experience of, let's say, if they have a puppy or something like that, a baby kitten in their lap, of petting it and feeling a little bit of warmth. Everybody has had that experience. And so, we recognize that, you know, well, yes, I am capable of giving some warmth like this, see our positive side as well. 
right? So it's not just totally you know, working on the negative sides, it's also balanced, working on reinforcing the positive side. Because uh, in doing this, in trying to get a balance of these two, we avoid another two set of extremes. Right? One extreme is guilt. I'm bad and I should practice. Yes, I'm not practicing, so I'm bad. I'm even more bad. This word should needs to be eliminated from our way of looking at Dharma practice. It's never a matter of should. If we want to avoid problems, get rid of our problems, if we do this, that's going to bring that about. Whether we do it or not, that's our own choice. So nobody's saying you should do this, and if you don't do this, you're bad. But uh, we also need to avoid the other extreme, which is the extreme of we're all perfect, just see your Buddha nature, and everything is perfect. This is a very dangerous extreme, right? Because it can lead to the attitude that we don't need to change, we don't need to give up or stop any of our negative ways, because we're all perfect. So, various sets of extremes we need to avoid. So basically, we take responsibility ourselves. And that also is a key for putting it into our daily lives. Take responsibility ourselves to do something about the quality of our lives. Now, we can gain inspiration from spiritual teacher. We can gain inspiration from the community of other people who are practicing with us. But a stable source of inspiration, the teacher, is not really these fantastic stories, you know, of fly through the air and all these sort of things. That's not a stable inspiration, really. Because that's very difficult to relate to. That starts to get into the whole magic trip. But, of course, you know, Buddhas are truly qualified teachers. They're not trying to impress us. They're not trying to inspire us. Right? The example is that they're like the sun. The sun doesn't try to warm other people. Just the way that the sun is naturally warms others. And so the same thing with great spiritual teachers, just spontaneously and naturally from the way that they are in life, their character, their way of dealing with things in daily, everyday life, not magic tricks that they do. That's what is the most inspiring in a very realistic, down-to-earth way. I remember Dujum Rinpoche. He died many years ago, but he was the head of the Nyingma lineage. He was one of my teachers. He had terrible asthma. I have terrible asthma as well. And so I know what it's like to have difficulty breathing and how difficult it is to teach when you're having difficulty breathing because all your energy has to be directed inwards to getting enough air. Very difficult for your energy to go out in that situation. And I would see Dujra Rinpoche having terrible asthma and yet going up on stage and teaching and you know just totally not being the slightest bit disturbed by the asthma and just dealing in a very incredible way in teaching. This is unbelievably inspiring. Very down to earth. No big magic trick. It's, it's dealing with real life situations. That's inspiring. And as we go along the spiritual path and we progress, we make progress, we get inspiration from ourselves. This is a very, very important source of inspiration. We gain inspiration from our own progress. Right? And that you have to be very, very delicate about. Most people can't handle that, actually, because the tendency, of course, is to get arrogant and proud if you make any progress. So one has to be careful what we mean by progress. 
First of all, we have to realize that progress is never linear. Right? It's nonlinear. It goes up and down, up and down. Right? This is the characteristic of samsara. Not just talking about rebirth going, you know, higher rebirth, lower rebirth, up and down like that. We're talking about everyday life. Now I feel happy, now I feel unhappy. My moods go up and down, now I feel like practicing, now I don't feel like practicing. That goes up and down all the time, so don't be surprised. In fact, it's going to continue like that until we become an arhat, a liberated being, free from samsara, up until that point, which is unbelievably advanced. Samsara is going to continue going up and down. So, then we don't get discouraged. When after practicing a long time, then all of a sudden we get into, you know, a difficulty and a personal romantic relationship. And emotionally we're all upset. This happens. Doesn't mean that we've been terrible practitioner. It goes up and down. But, you know, that down period doesn't last so long. Come back. So, miracles don't usually happen in Dharma practice. So we want to apply it to daily life. Don't expect miracles. But how do we measure progress? As His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, you look just in terms of a year or two years. You look in terms of five or ten years of practice. And you see, am I a more calm person than I was five or ten years ago? Am I able to handle difficult situations and not get so upset or thrown by them? We are. We've made some progress. That's inspiring that you feel so arrogant and proud because you still have problems. But it gives you strength to go on. Get so upset in difficult situations. When uh, things go badly, we're able to recover more quickly. And so when we talk about this inspiration here, it's from it's strength to go on in the path because we are convinced that we're going in the right direction. And you're only convinced that you're going in the right direction if you have a realistic idea of what it means to go in that direction, which means up and down, but in that general direction. So, maybe that's enough. In terms of some general ideas of practice of Dharma in daily life, it means to actually have Dharma practice in a practical way.